I wanted to share again with you today the very first Reset the Podcast conversation I had. It's with Paul Pomeroy back in January 2021 this year. He's now the Corporate SVP International Operated Markets for McDonald's and formerly the CEO of UK and Ireland. We often talk, don't we, about the need for leaders to be authentic, to share their vulnerabilities, to open up, but also be inspiring thought leaders and, of course, deliver commercial outcomes. Paul, in many ways, is a textbook case. This is a fascinating exploration of how his childhood impacted his adulthood, both professionally and personally. We share some revealing and tough truths, some moments of passion, and I think you can see why Paul is the brilliant leader that he is and why McDonald's have recently promoted him yet again. If you take time to do just one thing over this Christmas break, relax and reset with us and listen to this masterclass in leadership. Thank you all to everyone who has listened to Reset the podcast this year for your comments, suggestions, support. We're going to be back in January with more conversations, connections and inspiration to create a better work-life balance. But until then, be safe, be happy and see you next year. Reset the podcast is brought to you in association with Liars, the non-alcoholic spirits brand that gives everyone the freedom to drink their drink their way. Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energised starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. Paul Pomeroy is the CEO of McDonald's UK and Ireland. But here in this Reset podcast, work isn't on the agenda. Instead, Paul talks to me about the kind of life experiences that have contributed to the leader he is today. Experiences with his dad, his family and his friends have all shaped his view that authenticity is the key to great leadership and culture. In this personally revealing, brave and open conversation, we discuss how bringing his whole self to work is perhaps something that defines Paul's professional life. Finally, and perhaps most tellingly, he explains why it's so important for his colleagues to feel that sometimes it's okay to not be okay. Hi, Paul. How are you today? Yeah, hi, Suki. Good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because you and I normally... Uh, we've known each other for a long time. We, yep. uh, I've worked with across my other business, Oyster Catchers, with McDonald's for 10 years. And you and I meet uh, two or three times a year um, in a business context, and we've interviewed and talked to each other. 
but we always talk about business. We, we talk a little bit about leadership and culture, but it's always in the context of McDonald's and maybe marketing or the fact that you're 100% chicken breast and yeah. whole cut British Irish beef um, and what you've been trying to do during the pandemic. We've never talked about you really as a human being and the impact that that's had. And one of the things that I did with my Let's Reset book was talk to a lot of leaders about what really was behind their leadership and their motivation yeah. and how that impacted themselves. And at the time, I, you know, I asked you if you wanted to be part of the book, and you didn't think it was probably quite right then. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't quite the right time for me in the journey that I was on, I suppose, as a leader. But yeah, obviously now, a few years on, in a different place. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Paul, let's start uh, with you as a child. Mm -hmm. What was your childhood like? So I think, you know, like most, you know, I have to divulge my age now, won't I? But I'm, I'm 47, so I grew up in, in the 70s. So I was, I was born in 1973. Um, and it's fascinating at the moment, you can reflect on your life as a child versus what we're going through in the, in the, the awful crisis and the restrictions that we have on my two boys, which we'll come on to talk about. But I think, you know, my, my childhood was probably similar to what, we're going through at the moment. You lived, you lived quite a simple life, relative in terms of travel. Um, my parents were both hardworking. Uh, my dad was a sales rep um, for a frozen food company, um, very good at, at that. And uh, my mum used to work for the Bank of England before she had children. Um, we we lived in a kind of a new village in in South London, sort of North Kent, uh, where I knew all my friends personally. I still got them as mates today. You know, 40, 40 odd years on. We grew up in the same cul-de-sac, we played football together, but my life was very, um, probably within a sort of five to six mile radius, to be honest with you. So I didn't travel much further than my grandparents' house in the next sort of town over. We went on one holiday a year, um, which is the summer holiday, and that was the only holiday we went on. Um, school holidays were spent in the woods, you know, in the fields, going fishing, playing football, out on my bikes. Um, and then obviously, you know, my I think you and I spoke before about my dad, my dad was, you know, really um, into sport and activities and stuff, but he, he was um, a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde character uh, and could lose his temper um, very quickly, um, often for no reason, which obviously created tension in the family unit. Um, he'd lose my temper with me, um, he'd lose my temper with my mum, and he never knew what, you know, what, what could come through the door. There were many positives for my dad in terms of, you know, what he gave me and the support and the sport and the and the grounding in life and he was very driven as a human being but obviously the, the bit that affects me as I got older was the, the uncertainty of what might come through the door in the evening so that was the bit that obviously um, affected me growing up more was the, that, that that bit of kind of not knowing quite what could, what could walk through the door um, and we can come on to talk about some of that in a little while but um, overall I'd say that I, I loved school um, I enjoyed school I wasn't the model student um, I got distracted easily um, um, I found school fairly easy. I didn't struggle to grasp things, um, so I, I, I got bored quickly. I think, um, you know, I used to be quite annoying as a student. I remember when I was uh, 11, I just passed 11 plus, and uh, my deputy head teacher, Mrs. Lloyd Blesser, who's passed away now, um, gave me one hell of a kick up the bottom in front of my parents, which was that it was a shame that I passed 11 plus because it was a wasted place for someone that would work hard. And um, unbeknown to me, that was my first probably big motivational moment where someone you know, gave me a bit of a motivational speech really. And from that day onwards, I worked probably a bit harder, but uh, Mrs. Lloyd kind of, you know, made me sort of sit up and take notice to be honest. Um, but no, overall, you know, 
when I look back on my childhood, it was all about friends. And um, I'm very loyal as a person, very honest, uh, very committed to my friends um, and my family. Uh, my sister and I are very close, as you know. Um, she's four and a half years younger than me, that she reminds me a lot. Uh, but her and I are very close. And one of the hardest things about the crisis and the pandemic is I've only seen my sister twice in a year's period. And she only lives in South London. Um, but, and I've only seen my mates once in a year. Normally we see each other every month for a curry or a beer or whatever. And that, that's important as a leader because obviously that keeps me grounded. Going back to you know, Bromley or, or Petswood to have a beer. Um, when I walk in the pub, I'm not Paul Pomeroy, the CEO of McDonald's. I'm Paul, who they've known for 40 years and I miss them. Um, they do keep me grounded. They've, you know, they've all got different jobs, different backgrounds, but you know, we've, we've known each other a long time. Gosh, there's there's so much there, isn't it? And it's um, it's fascinating. Before we come on to your dad and the impact of that, and now you as a dad, as a as a father yourself, I'm fascinated about your friends because yep. my observation is lots of leaders that I know um, have friends that they've had from you know absolutely childhood. They're very loyal to them. They're around. I can think of really quite a lot of them, um, and I wonder whether there's uh, you know, that sense of what you said is you're not the chief executive McDonald's with you mm. with them and they'll give you a bit of a ribbing for whatever you are as a person yeah. other than, you know, treating you differently. Um, and whether there's also just that kind of sense of people who are leaders often um, have very strong need for those around them to be loyal and, um, and to be loyal themselves. Yeah, I think, if you, I mean, one of the things that I'm, I'm very passionate about is you know kind of integrity and trust and values and obviously um I, my friends there's the utmost trust and integrity so i can there's 15 or 16 of us that have known each other since the age of some of us i was in pram in nappies with them i mean you know greg simon and neil um specifically i went you know i literally we were born you know within a year of each other and spent our, you know, spent our lives and you know i still I can trust them with anything and they've known me throughout. Um, the latest addition to the group was when I was about 15. So, you know, it's been 30 years for all of us. Um, and we kind of went to different schools, come back together and it, the group just grew. But I think surrounding yourself with people that share the same values and, and integrity. I think my mum, my mum's always taught me to treat other people how you want to be treated yourself. Um, and I think all of my mates share those values. We work hard. Um, some of us have been more successful professionally than others. Um, but we've always worked hard. We've enjoyed good times together. We're not um, we're not a group of people that are um, into kind of the financial part of you know working. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's one of my mates who's an electrician or a scaffolder or me as the CEO of McDonald's. We all buy a beer. There's no it's not about your wealth or your income. It's just about who you are as a person. So so I suppose we share that those common set of values. And obviously, a lot is talked about certainly McDonald's, but you know, business generally about values and integrity. Um, and I think that that is something as a leader, you want to surround yourself with good people. And it's the same here for my team. You know, you want, you need bright people on your team, but they need to be people that fit within your ethos of what's right and wrong. Um, and getting up every morning, trying to do the right thing by people is something I pride myself on. And do you get it right every day, Suki? As you know, you don't. You have bad days. You know, the boys can irritate me. You can have a moment that burst your bubble. You know, someone cuts you up on the um, on the um, on the way to work. Um, you have a moment. You don't get it right all the time, but you apologise for those moments. And I think my friends, I don't need to say anything. They know that 
if I, if I have a moment, they know me well enough that it's a moment and you don't mean anything by it. Of course, I apologise, but they forgive you very quickly. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about having long-term friends. There's, there's also, the other thing for me is there's also, it's a release, Suki, as well. I mean, as a leader, and you know this yourself, you know, you've been very successful in your career, you you want to be as authentic as possible. Of course you do. But the moment I step out of the car in the morning in the car park downstairs, I am then the boss. Um, and that creates a different pressure on you. Um, everyone watches everything you do. You and I have talked about this. You know, it's, yeah. it's a weird feeling. It's one of the weirdest feelings you have when you first take the job is that suddenly you go from being in the background as a CFO to being looked at permanently. And you feel like you live your life through a microscope when you're in work. Uh, both internally and externally, you know, whatever you say gets scrutinised, whatever actions you do get scrutinised, whether, whether how you put your coat on as you get out of the car, people assume you're in a good mood or a bad mood. Whereas when you're, you need people around you that you can just be yourself. And I think if you can do that, it's a release. It is a release because you don't want to be on show permanently. And it's the same for Nat, myself and the boys. It's, you know, as you know, I try not to give the boys any special treatment. It's difficult, but you you want to be just a normal dad that enjoys normal things like bike rides and walks and, you know, letting them climb trees and, you know, fall over and hurt themselves in the same way as I did. And you just want that normality, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I, um, when I first got my place down in Cornwall, just after that, I was writing my book. And so it wasn't until I was there for lockdown that um, a number of my neighbours, they were chatting away and they said, oh, of course, you know, Suki's an author. And I looked at them and I'm like, sorry, because well, you write those books, don't you? <laughs> and it was so weird because yeah. completely it was not what I identify as at all. But, you know, it is, it is fascinating. And, you know, lots of those people I, I've grown up with. And um, it's the same thing. If you're on the beach and surfing in the sea, if you can surf, you can surf. If you can't, you can't. But they don't care where you come from. No, exactly. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about your dad. Um, mm. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? So... Um, you know, I didn't grow up with my dad because my parents were divorced when I was five. But, mm. um, you know, over the years I've seen and I see it now uh, occasionally with, with some of my friends. Um, there's a lady called Sandra Hawley who wrote a brilliant book called Power and Control, Why Charming Men Can Make Dangerous Lovers. Mm. And the book was about, um, you know, on the outside and it was particularly about men, and I'm not saying this isn't the same for women because women are those are different. But there are there are lots of men who, on the outside, look amazing. They're charming. They're lovely. And you know, I think if people are all bad or all horrible, it's quite easy to go they're a horrible person. Mm. So what often what we see is men, perhaps like your dad, who actually have so many good bits, and you've got so much that's been great from them, but that moment i guess for you not knowing what he was going to be like or that moment of when he lost his temper that must be really hard how how did you feel can you remember can you go back into yeah, that time so, and remember I mean, how you felt as a child yeah so i mean uh, you know for me you know, I, you know i'm um you know i told you before you know, i love my mom and i love my dad and obviously uh, for the good bits and the bad bits but it's um the thing that happens is that you you when there is uncertainty in a child's life, obviously that creates a conditioning to how you then behave in later life. And I think one of the things that I talk very openly about here is that um, everyone's upbringing creates part of them. You know, whether it's your mum and dad when you're younger, which school you went to, what your teachers were like, every influence on you as you grow up, the mentors you have around you, 
everyone influences your life either positively or or negatively and or both at the same time as we've talked about and i think what happens is that you know you, you get a fear i mean the, the, you know, fear is the word that you, you have as, as a youngster you have a fear of making a mistake uh, which obviously in leadership it's bizarre because I, I don't ever have a fear of making mistakes in work. So it's very much a separation for me. And and one of the things that my dad did give me was a, an incredible drive and determination because he was um, very competitive and very driven as, as a person, which mean, meant for me to want to please him, um, I would have a drive and determination to do that. And um, so there's a lot of good stuff that came out, but obviously the, the, some of the negative stuff that comes out is that fear of making a mistake. And certainly it didn't really manifest itself in my later life, um, not that I noticed, I'm sure my psychologist would say that's not the case, of course. Um, but she would say that, of course, it manifests itself through my obsession with gym and commitment to all the stuff that I, I'm driven by is obviously um, part of what, what's gone on. But um, it really manifested itself as William, my oldest son, hit the age of about sort of three and a half, four. And obviously, Natalie and I, my wife, talked about the fact that, you know, I need to be able to, you know, tell the boys off. I mean, Oliver and William now, you know, nine and six, and I need to be able to tell the boys off and not feel guilty. And obviously what happened for me was I have got, you know, like any, any person you have a, there's a tolerance of, and you, you have a temper. Um, I can end up shouting. Um, and what ends up happening is if I, if I do shout at the boys, I feel guilty. And then obviously if I don't talk about it in work and I come to work, then, you know, that's on my mind. So, you know, I needed to get a way of dealing with the fact that firstly, to try not to lose my temper anyone you don't want to lose your temper because it's not a good place but um secondly when you do need to hold a line to hold a line and not feel guilty and the anxiety that comes with that and you feel you do feel guilty and you, you over overthink things your inner voice at night um you know you lie there in bed um and certainly bizarrely you know i i can i can make massive decisions for mcdonald's and not stress about it but I can make one small decision for the boys either way and then and worry about it. Have you done the right thing? Because there's no replays with child. And I suppose because um, you want to be the perfect parent, which doesn't exist. Um, it's impossible to be the perfect parent, but you want to try and be perfect. Um, and with the stresses of life, as everyone has stresses in life, it's impossible. And um, Shani, my psychologist, um, taught me fairly early on in our relationship that, you know, good enough is good enough because I'm a perfectionist, as you know, and, trying to do 110% on everything was just not possible. So her statement of, look, good enough is good enough. You're going to make mistakes. Um, and the other, she's got me reading loads of books and watching podcasts, but there's one about, you know, imperfection, which just the title alone freaks me out to read a book about being imperfect <laughs> was uh, quite, quite stressful to start off with. But um, no, it's true because obviously you want to not make mistakes. And I, I think that's part of the, the challenge for me is that, you know, I hate losing. Um, I don't mind losing if we've um, given it a good go, but I hate losing if we've not given it a good go. That's part of my, my DNA and everyone knows that here. But I also, you know, I, I don't mind making mistakes in work, uh, but they've got to be for the right reasons. And I suppose as you've gone through that journey, Natalie, I had a really good conversation about, look, you know, I tried when I was younger to see a psychiatrist and a psychologist. I didn't connect. I don't think I was mature enough. I was 27 at the time. Um, and I just didn't connect with the, 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 the psychologist that I got paired with through work, through the um, private healthcare, which we can come on to talk about how supportive McDonald's are. But um, this time around, I connected, and maybe it's because I'm older, um, more committed, a bit more mature about it. Um, 
And also, I think the world's in a different place. If you think about when I was 27, 20 years ago, no one talked about seeing a psychologist or it was a taboo subject. Whereas now I feel really comfortable as a leader to say, look, you know, I've got two dodgy knees from football. I get help. You know, I need help being a dad. You know, I read books and I see a psychologist. And I think I'm really open about the fact that that's who I am. Um, And it's not a problem with it. I'm really open about that. And it helps. It's amazing how it's then really helped McDonald's and how it's really shone a light on we've had some amazing stories for our well-being festival we've just held and I think it's helped people get through COVID because I'm at the top I'm authentic about the fact that there's moments when we've homeschooling it's been tough with yeah yeah not seeing my mum not seeing my sister it's been I mean, I'm very honest about that and yeah. um as you know one famous podcast that I was doing with with work to, to 700 people when my, my youngest wanted to go to the toilet and shared that he wanted to go to the poo with everyone and it's fine it's 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 life I know, I know. Um, so, I mean, I think it's it's so interesting, isn't it, that, um, you know, this this desire to be perfect yeah. is fascinating. And again, it's something we see a lot. And it, it's funny, isn't it, because failure is the way that we kind of learn stuff, and particularly yeah. when we're young, particularly and in business all the time. And it's interesting that you have this, um, you know, because I think you're very open and you're very inclusive and you're, you're you're really keen on people being challenged and challenging. And I wonder whether, you know, your boys will be able to grow up and then also work in environments where failure is not seen as something bad, that failure is actually seen as a route and a, and a way to, to be better and to learn and to grow and to innovate. Um, do you think you're on that journey to be able to change your kind of what's in your DNA and what you've learned during your I life? <laughs> I um so in terms of it's fa- it's fascinating. So I I am I'm driven. If I do anything, I do it to 110. percent It's probably my biggest. Um, and I struggle to relax, and I think that goes back to my childhood because obviously um, I learned that if I kept busy, I kept out of the way. Um, but part of that is personality. So part of it is nature obviously and part of it is nurture that I am a you know my mum is a very you know energetic driven person as well but if I do anything I do it really well so if I play golf I practice if I if I do football I you know, practice if I and as you know I've got spreadsheets that track the number of attendances at the gym each, going back to 2007 which isn't normal um, but one of the things that I do with the boys which is is different is that you know we talk about stuff very openly um, at the right level obviously but that they can poke fun at dad as well um, and I, I encourage them to, to give me feedback when I'm being annoying, being irritating. Um, it's funny how, you know, if, if we, you know, mentally, if we go for a walk, I, I mentally log how long it takes us and, you know, but I don't share that with the boys and last time, how many steps and stuff like that. It's just the way I am, but I, I try not to share that with the boys, obviously. The other thing that, um, I, I encourage them a lot to do is to, to try loads of new things and they, they do lots of different things. And obviously, you know, you want them to to try as many things as possible. I think one of the, one of the fascinating, uh, you have many moments as a dad, but you know, watching the boys, you know, learn to ride a bike, you know, there's no way you can learn to ride a bike without failure and a few cuts and bruises. So, um, that was a fascinating, you know, firstly, you, you nearly break, break your back running along behind them anyway. Um, but you know, there's no way you can learn to ride a bike without falling off. It's impossible. So I think, again, there's been many moments where, you know, they're a real leveler in terms of, you know, and then I read books. I do read. I mean, I, I one of the best books I've read um, about being a dad is a book called Raising Boys by a psychologist called Steve Bidolf. And 
it helps you understand the emotional side of what boys go through. Um, puberty starts a lot younger um, than society used to realise, which is great that we know that now, but it starts at sort of eight, not 11 when their physical changes start. But that's helped me with William, the oldest one, who's already going through this kind of, you know, trying to manage his hormones and his, you know, how he feels and stuff. And so just understanding how, you know, boys need a different input to girls. And I know you've got, you know, you've got a boy and a girl where I've got two boys, but it's, you, they all need different, you know, yeah. different inputs at different, and they're not all the same either. So Oliver, my youngest is very different to William, my oldest. And, but, but there's very, you know, a lot of common bits as well, but you know, I think it's fascinating as a parent. One of the things I'm trying to break down as well here is that when you go and ride a bike, you learn. When you go and drive a car, you learn. When you go and you know, do anything, you learn. Whereas, you know, the scary thing as a dad is you're, you know, nine years ago, literally a week ago, obviously nine years ago, William came along and Natalie and I leave the hospital with this little bundle of joy that you've got, there's no manual. And I think you can't change them, can you? I mean, I think no. in work, if somebody underperforms or they don't do it quite how you want it to do, you kind of can get rid of them or move yeah. them on or do whatever. And I think I think the big the biggest challenge that I had with Sam and Jazz was that Jazz sort of behaved like a girl I could understand. Because yeah. she was you know, a bit similar to me, a bit similar to my sister and other. Mm. Sam was so different. Yeah. You know, he was a bit more like my dad, my, my, my brother, probably. Yeah. Um, but I didn't expect to have a boy that really didn't like sport or actually didn't like going to school or wasn't going to run through education in the way that I had seen other people do. Um, and I find that really hard and really challenging and taking time out from work at the time to go, you know, I know when you say oh, you just need to kick him and up the arse metaphorically yeah. and get him into school. You don't quite understand. Sam would not go to school and you know he turned up with me at mcdonald's meetings occasionally yeah that was really hard yeah. and i think i just hadn't appreciated that that might just happen well the other bit for me sick is on on that front is that part of the reason i'm open about look I, we all need help from time to time in, in everything in life is that people think that because you're the ceo of mcdonald's your whole life's perfect yeah and you find everything easy because you've made it to the top of the the business in the UK and and you know this you know you've been very successful you've run your own business and there's there's always this stigma around what's expected of you as a well surely Suki can't have a problem with being a parent she's a successful entrepreneur and she's made it in life and it of course it's not the reality as you and I have talked about before is that you know my, my boys don't care that I'm the CEO of, of McDonald's they, they couldn't care less I'm, I'm dad and um and the same for you is that you know you can't you can do all you can but you can't you can't fix everything for them. That's the hardest thing, I think, is when you you can see problems coming, you've got to allow them to make their own mistakes, but you know that you could probably fix the problems before they arise, but you can't. You've got to just let them go through it. It's like, it's like when they're riding their bike fast around the corner, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but the only way they're going to learn is by taking a few chunks off their knee. <laughs> and you want to limit that, but they've got to feel the same sort of pain as you did as a child to, to understand, because otherwise they never learn. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing I'm quite interested in is that you've got um, Nat's a, an amazing woman and a brilliant businesswoman in her own right. Yeah. Um, you've got Shani, your therapist, psychologist. Um, yeah. You know, you have a number of very... Yeah, and, and, that, and that's my mentor as well, my external mentor. coach. Yeah. 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 Uh, what is it about... If, have you specifically chosen 
um, sort of quite strong women to be around you. Do you do you, do you recognise that? Yeah, I, do, do you know what? It's, it's funny. I was uh, I was talking to Annette about it. Um, we always do a, a year end. I, I try to set a target each year of being you know twenty percent better each year. Obviously, I set twenty percent because you know you're never going to get to twenty, but maybe ten. Um, and I reflected on it that I do. You know, I've got yourself that I pull on a lot in terms of being a good friend and coach and mentor as well. And I, you know, and obviously you know my old boss Jill that we both know as well. And there's yeah. there's I don't deliberately do it, um, but obviously there's, there's something in my childhood that is there because, you know, my mum was a big role model. My nan on my mum's side as well was a big role model to me. Clearly, um, it was a deliberate choice, though, for Annette, because at that time we had very few women, as you know, at a senior level in McDonald's. I, we, we just lost a number of women when I took over. Obviously, we lost Jill as well. Um, so um, I deliberately felt that I needed a role model and a mentor that was a woman because to give me balance in, in, in the business sense. But yeah, there's definitely something in my nurturing and upbringing that allows me to gravitate to, to have women influence me as a leader, which I think is refreshing and really in terms of, you know, I'm, you know, that may not have always been the case in leadership that men would be open about that, that, mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, McDonald's serves 4 million people a day in the UK by, by you know, over 50%, or around 50% are women. In our workforce, we've got 50%, you know, male-female split now. I'm really proud of that. And we've got 40% of my leadership team. Um, so I'm really proud of the progress we've made on gender diversity. But for me to understand, I think I need to be influenced by women. And I think a lot more, I think a lot more leaders now are being open to that. I think, you know, there's a generation of leaders coming through that are more open to that. I think that the times have changed a lot and I think it's it's refreshing that we can talk about the fact that there should be a, a healthy mix and a healthy balance but yeah. yeah but I do when I reflect on it there is a there's a lot of women that influence me and it's positive to be honest Suki it's, it's, it's really positive I know we joke about it sometimes but I'm really I'm positive about it and don't forget my wife at home as you say um she's she's quieter than me in terms of her outgoing but she's really strong woman and uh she she definitely lets me know when i'm overstepping the mark both either you know and obviously in a in a business sense her and i can have a good chat about stuff because she she's a smart lady you say yeah absolutely um and i think you know you, you just touched on a little bit around diversity and inclusion has been something you have focused on at mcdonald's um and then you're part of i call it whittle but it's it's um uh you know that that, that kind of tears business that looks at diversity and particularly across your sector um and you've done quite a lot at mcdonald's for that but you've also have looked at the well-being of staff certainly before lockdown and, and during last year what kind of things have you been doing with your staff yeah i mean i think look one of the things that i've, I've always talked openly about um i've been here you know, 24 years i mean it's it's my most of my adult life has been at mcdonald's i started as a a trainee accountant externally at Smith and Williamson and um, came across, I qualified in 1996. I joined McDonald's, as you know, at the end of 96, thinking I'd do a few years. Um, and here I still am and 24 years on. But I think one of the things I've always prided myself on, Suki, is that um, firstly, um, you need to switch off. Now, everyone switches off in a different way. And I know we joked at, you know, at the start about me being, you know, maybe driven, but I have to switch off. Um, and the way I switch off is, you know, exercise, watching sport, playing sport, less playing sport as I've got older, but still exercise. My exercise routines have changed. I do a lot more Pilates and yoga now, as you know, than, than I used to do. Um, 
But I yeah, think yeah, cool. having a yeah, having 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 a having the ability to switch off is important. I've always done that. I, I've been, I suppose, I've always been very fortunate. I'm quite a strong character that I can I can switch off though, and I don't feel the peer pressure to stay on all the time. And one of the things I vowed when I took over, you know, five and a bit years ago, um, or six years ago now, um, was to make sure that I was open about the fact that I don't believe in 24-7, you know, work. You can't work 24-7. Um, anyone that works 18 hours a day, you know, you, you're not going to be productive. Um, you're going to burn out. Um, you're also going to affect your team a lot if you're always on. Um, so some of the things we've done over the last year or so that we were working on before but we've got you know obviously accelerated because of covid is that you know we've done well-being festival um where we've actually openly had a whole day where we closed the office um and did a festival of well-being and you know we we had ruby wax join that which was fascinating conversation she was brilliant absolutely brilliant as a as a pioneer of someone that's talked about well-being and her own journey um she was fantastic um she had some brilliant stories on her life as well um and um also for me, for what we've done around that though, is the festival was a kind of another moment in time where we looked at what's the kind of culture that we want to create. And so we've, we've done some practical things off the back of that. So we don't email each other between seven at night and seven in the morning. Um, meetings now don't start until nine, but finish by four. Um, and that allows people to switch off um, and catch up. But also for working parents, obviously at the moment it's tough with homeschooling and, and getting kids to and from school without support because you can't have your support bubble. So again, it allows people to not feel guilty. Um, there's a lot of guilt that can creep into the workplace. We've then had, um, you know, we've got doctors on hand. Um, so we have a, a hotline for, for people that feel um, that they need to speak to a doctor. We also have um, psychologists on hand that can talk to our people across the whole of our networks. 130,000 people have access to people from a psychology point of view, from a financial planning point of view, and from a doctor. And as you know, here in head office, we we have a, a couple of doctors that come in two or three times a week, obviously not at the moment because we're in lockdown, but they come in and they can do some routine checks because the thing that happens in life as well is that everyone's always too busy to get themselves checked. We have a great private healthcare plan for our people, but if you don't get referred, then there's no point in having it. So allowing people to go to a private medical room here in the office and just get checked um, and then get referred means that there's no excuse for not getting yourself, you know, sorted out. Because I think too often people excuse away that they haven't got time to go to a doctor or to see a psychologist or, you know, so trying to break down some of that has been, you know, really important. And then some of the other bits is just me leading by example. As you know, I'm a noisy lever. I deliberately park my car at the front of the office so people can see me leaving at five. I, you know, I love, park. I love that expression. You're a noisy lever. And yeah, I think deliberately so. I make a big racket. you good at at saying yeah. that the other one I love is that you sometimes will take your boys to school and you'll tell people you're not going to start yes. early because you yeah. take your boys to school and yeah. I think it's a fantastic not just symbol but they can see you actually do that and I'm really proud of Nat's career so we're you know Nat's been as you know very successful she's Nat, you know chief marketing officer for MacArthur Glen she's worked here at McDonald's and then at Whitbread um you know for us to both be successful we, we need to share share the workload of the home life and we we found a way that works for us too um but i i would deliberately if i can i'll be the one that cancels a meeting because there there still can be a stigma for a working woman that if it's always the woman that cancels the meeting and i I say this a lot here that for every working man is a working woman generally um i know that can be 
challenged and stereotypical and all that. People are divorced, I know that, but people need to share. Um, so men need to be flexible as well as women. To, to For that to be to, to work, you've got to be flexible. And I, I'll try as often as possible for be the one that, you know, I'll take William for all these checkups and Oliver and, you know, anything they need to do, I'll, I'll be the one that cancels because I think it's important. It's also important here at McDonald's, but it's also important for Nat when she's at work that she doesn't feel like it's always going to have to be heard at cancels her meetings. And I think that I think that's really interesting because it's um it's a brilliant thing to do. And but you could argue that in some ways it's I mean it's not easier for you to do it than other people, but you are in control, you are the boss. So if you say, I don't know, I'm gonna take William and Oliver to school, there's no one who can really go, Boy, you better not do that. I think that it's quite difficult in, in the middle of an organization to be, I mean, it's bad enough being a woman, and we've seen that COVID has massively impacted women because yeah. they have taken, we've seen this, the brunt of particularly COVID parent and children looking after them, and maybe elderly parents as well. But how do you do that, and how do you enable that to happen across the organisation? Yeah, and it's right, it is easier for me. There's no getting away from that. Um, it's there's, there's many reasons it's easier uh, for me, whether it's financial, whether it's, you know, where you are in life in terms of the leader. Um, but the reason I talk about it, Suki, is I want to make it easier for other people. And, and that's the important part is that if I, I've grown up in business where, you know, no one ever talked about having a mentor. No one ever talked about having a coach. No one ever talked about having people like you that I pull on. I, as you know, I'm not a marketeer. You've told me that many times. Um, and that, but there are times when I need an external perspective from a marketing point of view just to help me. And I'll come to you on that. Um, I think in days gone by, no one will be open about saying that, you know, you, you pulled on people for help. And I think it's important that you've got to share your vulnerabilities, you know, be proud about what you are good at, but also be honest about what you're not good at. You know, I'm not a marketeer. I need people to help me on that stuff. Otherwise, you know, if I get involved in marketing, it's dangerous. Um, but <laughs> it's the same with how do you set that culture where people can be open and honest about, here's where I am. Um, if I'm not honest about the fact that, you know, homeschooling can be tough. You know, William calls me a dinosaur because, you know, he thinks I come from the dark ages, the way I, I do my long multiplication and stuff. But um, if you're not open about it, then you're not setting a culture where people can be open as well. And it's been fascinating this year in 2020, obviously we're in 2021 now, but in 2020 where we've had people come forward on our wellbeing days and tell their own stories to the office. So suddenly me telling my story about the challenges of being a good dad or work-life balance or the way Nat and I run our family situation, me telling those stories internally has given permission for people all across the organisation to tell their own stories. The other thing I do as well is, as you know, we've, you know, I, I get reverse mentored. So I have a number of people from different backgrounds that meet with me. We have the diversity club that, you know, there's a group of young people that have come together naturally and they meet with me to challenge me and, and to give me feedback. Um, I've got Pauline, you know, who's the most senior you know, vice president at, at Virgin, who's a, who's a black lady, who, who mentors me around, you know, you know, ethnicity and, and the journey we're going on there. So being honest about the fact I haven't got all the answers, Suki, is important, but creating a culture where people feel comfortable, that they can talk about their challenges in life. Um, and everyone, I think the nice thing is for me is I've grown up and worked hard, come from a, a kind of fairly working class background, my friends are, as I said before, you know, carpenters, electricians, scaffolders, bankers, city traders. We've all, you know, done different careers. But I understand the stresses of, you know, different backgrounds. And I think that's important to, to 
you know, I played football. I played football in the in the eighties, where I saw racism. Um, you know, some of my best friends that I played football with that were you know black people. I've seen racism firsthand, and it's not very pleasant. And one of the things I vowed taking this job is that I would make you know an environment where everyone felt comfortable. Um, do we get it right every day? No. Um, are we better today than we were six years ago? Yes. Do we still have a journey to go on? Definitely. Um, but, you know, if you want to treat people how you want to be treated yourself, then bullying, racism, sexism, whatever you want to talk about has no part in my culture. And, you know, we can't get it right every day. It's impossible. That's not human nature. But going on a journey where you keep improving and keep being honest about it is important. And, you know, I think too often people don't talk about that side of the stuff as well. You've got to, the culture we have today is not going to be good enough for tomorrow. The culture we had 10 years ago isn't good enough for today. Um, so we've got to keep moving forward. It's not dwelling in the past about why it was like it was. we just got to acknowledge it wasn't good enough and, and move on and, and try and fix it. And the nice thing is for me is that I've got the ability to fix it. And I'm proud of that. And I don't want to, I don't want to look back on my career and didn't fix the bits I could have fixed. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think, yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's so refreshing to hear that. And I, you know, I know that because we've had this and been on this journey together. And I think so often it's shame and fear that stops people speaking out hmm. you know if there are and as i've said to this before there are a number of people that i know the kind of stories and the things that they've gone through and going through that make them the leaders that they are but through shame and fear hmm. will not talk about it and therefore i don't think you can have authentic um, cultures you can't have environments where you're genuinely going to be able to have great places that people can work that they feel that they can bring their whole selves to work because they don't have because they have that shame and fear themselves and that's it's not they can't see it in the leaders either yeah and i think the other big thing that i try to do is empower my people and you know i don't know what it feels like to be a black person i can't it's, it, it's not possible for me to to be able to say that i can i can i can't i can't walk in their shoes that's impossible I don't know what it's like to be a working mum like you do, having gone through what you went through. I mean, you and Nat can have a really good conversation about it. I can I can see what it may feel like, but I can't naturally feel it. And in the same ways, you can't feel or understand how I felt when you, you close the front door as a dad and you feel this really weird sensation of relief when you're going back to work, almost elation that you're leaving this crying baby, and then immediate guilt that you've left your wife indoors on, the, on her own. And that's a weird feeling as well and um so we've all got different paths that we've trodden but i think being open about it and then empowering people to work together to try and fix it so you want to create a culture where you can't fix everything immediately it's impossible but you want to create a culture where people feel empowered that they can work on the bits that they want to come together to fix and um my my, my vision is that in 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 years to come we don't need to have you know we, as you know we have you know positive discrimination around having you know women's leadership programs and you know ethnic diversity programs here at mcdonald's because we have to at the moment my vision in the future is we don't need any of that because the culture is in such a good place that everyone has a as a as a level playing field now that's not the case at the moment because we don't understand you know the journey people have been on but that's my vision is that in you know three or four years time we won't need to have women's leadership because it, it won't be an issue anymore yeah Oh, you know, and I think if anyone's going to get there, it's going to be you and McDonald's. 
Um, Paul, you know, there's a saying. Imagine that, as you know, Sophie, I'll give it a good go. Yeah, I know you will. I know you will be there cheering you on, helping yes. you all the way, Paul. Um, you know, the saying that says you can't get to courage without walking through vulnerability. Mm. And I think you've shown massive courage. It's amazing and brilliant that you show your own vulnerability. And through that, other people can not just learn, but also be inspired. Um, as always, so inspiring to talk to you today, Paul. Thank you for being so open and honest. No, my and pleasure. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Suki. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network. <laughs>